Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. If I can make somebody watch a 20-minute fashion haul video, where I don't mention once that I'm blind and they forget that I have a disability, that's change. That's creating change. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. Right before the world began to close and the pandemic changed life as we know it, I was at the Airy Summit in Brooklyn, New York for a day of inspiring talks and motivating sessions with many of my fellow Airy Real Role Models. My friend Molly Burke was there and I finally got the chance to invite her in person to join me on the Gold Digger podcast. Molly launched her YouTube channel with makeup tutorials and fashion content, growing it into the massive platform it is today with over 2 million subscribers. Molly also happens to be blind. I am so excited for Molly to share her story. Why did she start her YouTube channel? What did she want to do with the platform when she was just starting out? And what are the behind the scenes secrets to content that does really well on that platform? Are you ready for a YouTube lesson? Here she is, my friend and inspiration, Molly Burke. Thanks to Fiverr for supporting Gold Digger. It's so easy to find freelance talent for your business or product. Do not waste any more time. Get 10% off in the service you deserve by going to FIVERR.com and using the code Gold Digger. Thanks to ShipStation for supporting Gold Digger. No matter where you're selling, whether it's Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. Use my offer code GOLDDIGGER to get a 60-day free trial. All right, Molly, I am so excited to have you on the show. So welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. 
I am so excited to be here. Long time in the making. I know. I know. It's so crazy to think about our time in New York before everything shut down. It feels like years ago. How is it already like <laughs> almost August? I just don't understand where 2020 went. I feel like it was no. snatched I know it's like the longest and shortest year all in the same time. Like time just doesn't even make sense anymore. <laughs> no, definitely. I feel like everybody's like, is it Sunday or is it yeah. Wednesday? <laughs> I know. And I'm so excited to talk about just how, how your year kind of transformed really quickly. But before we dive on into all that good stuff, tell everyone just a little bit about you. You are one of the most fascinating, vibrant, lovable people that I've ever met. And I have to tell you before I allow you to speak in New York, I got to watch one of your fans meet you. And I watched this young girl who happens to be blind transform in your presence. And honestly, when I close my eyes, it is one of the most impactful encounters I've ever watched happen. I remember her dad saying to your mom, you know, we sent Molly this email and and we never expected her to respond. It was like a shot in the dark. And you wrote back within like an hour to her and it changed her life. And I don't even know if you remember who I'm talking about, but then then Lauren, we had dinner yes. the next day. Yes, yes. I had her and her family for dinner the next day yes. in New York. I had a day yes. off. So I had dinner yes. with her and her family. She's so sweet. Oh, it was just the coolest to be able to watch that and be like a bystander to witness that. It was one of the most like transformative things I've ever gotten to see. So I just had to tell you that that has stuck with me. But let's get into first who you are and what you do. Tell me all things Molly Burke. Well, I'll give kind of the the full background as quick as I can here. I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, and I'm currently living in Los Angeles, California. I was diagnosed with a rare condition called retinitis pigmentosa when I was four years old. And that is just one of a number of rare conditions I have, but it's kind of the most pivotal in my life. And essentially, my family was told at the time of my diagnosis that I was one day going to go blind, but they weren't able to tell my family when that day would be. So from five years old onwards, I began public speaking about my condition and raising money and awareness to help fund research. And then when I was 14 years old, I was forced to face the reality of what blindness meant because over the course of about six to eight months of my grade eight year, I ended up losing the majority of my vision and fell into a very deep depression, was suicidal. I was being very severely bullied. And, you know, I was at that that point, that rock bottom where you really think it cannot get worse than this. And as I said, I was suicidal. So I was really faced with that decision of like, you know, do I end it or do I choose to continue it and fight? And I gave myself one more fight and started my journey to recovery. And along that journey, I did many, many, many things that contributed to my healing and my growth as a person and my overall mental, spiritual and emotional health. And then six years ago, when I was 20 years old, I decided to start my own business, my own motivational speaking business. And that's when I began my YouTube channel and it's crazy. Six years later, we have you know more than 3 million people across platforms tuning in every day to keep up with my life and hear what I have to say. And you know we're making people care about disability and bridging that gap between the able-bodied world and the disabled world. 
You do such an incredible job of doing just that. I feel like I am constantly a student of yours, just learning from you. I want to know. So if I remember correctly, you started your YouTube channel as like you were inspired by makeup tutorials and stuff, right? I was. I started watching YouTube around 2008, 2009, the same time that I lost my vision because as I said, I was really badly bullied. So I lost all my friends. So I no longer had girlfriends to talk about fashion with or go shopping with or do my makeup with or talk about dating and boys and all of these things, you know, that 14 year old girls start to care about and be interested in. And so I turned to YouTube. I found you know, the OG beauty and lifestyle girls, Bethany Moda, Blair Fowler, Megan Parkin. And I started watching all their channels and they were all 13, 14, 15, right around the same age as me. And it was kind of like an accessible way of reading a magazine. I could no longer look in store windows. I couldn't read a magazine. I couldn't go to Mac or Sephora and swatch lipsticks on the back of my own hand, but I could listen to these girls talk about, you know, the best Mac lipsticks for fair skin tones and what's trendy at Forever 21 or American Eagle. So it just kind of became my accessible window to understanding beauty and fashion again and what would suit me. Wow. Molly, is your first YouTube video still online? Like if I were to go all the way back in the archives, could I see that first video? I'm fairly certain it is. And it was the... Yeah, tell me about it. It was the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. That was my, oh my first ever YouTube video. Yeah. I, my boyfriend at the time, his friend tagged me to do it. And mainly these videos were going viral through Facebook, right? Like the whole trend was like, post the video on Facebook, tag three Facebook friends, post your video on Facebook, tag three more Facebook friends. So I knew I'd wanted to start a YouTube channel. I just needed a reason to hit post (laughs) for that first video. So when my boyfriend's college roommate tagged me to do the ALS ice bucket challenge, I was like, well, I'm going to film it. I'm going to do it. But instead of posting it to my Facebook, I'm just going to post it to YouTube. Because once I hit publish and I posted my first video, like the hardest challenge is over. And then I just have to commit to continuing to post. Yes. Okay. So... I remember hearing you do an interview and you were talking about how your boyfriend had offered to kind of help because I feel like a lot of people, when they think about video, they're thinking about editing and sound quality and shooting and all of these things. How did you overcome a lot of the hurdles that hold people back from exploring video? Yeah. So obviously being blind, like the visuals aren't possible for me. I can't focus the camera. I can't make sure the lighting's good. I can't edit my own content. So my boyfriend at the time said he would edit my videos for me, which was very nice of him until we broke up. And then I was was going to edit now. But at the time he edited for me and my parents wanted nothing to do with YouTube because I already had a thriving (laughs) career as a motivational speaker. And they were like, you know what, what a lot of older generations know of YouTube is, is, the Jake and Logan Paul controversy, yeah. right? Yep. So they were like, oh my God, you're going to ruin your public speaking career, going to all these Fortune 500 companies. You're going to put your foot in your mouth, say something embarrassing. Something's going to go viral for the wrong reason. So they were just too scared. They didn't want to be involved because they were like, you know what? You're 20. You're starting your own business. We can't tell you no, but yeah. we're not going to like be involved in supporting it. So the only thing my mom would do is walk in focus the lens and hit record and walk out. And that was, that was the extent of the role she played. So certainly like most YouTubers, you know, my first few years of videos, the lighting isn't good. <laughs> uh, you know, None of the thumbnails are edited or look nice, but we all start somewhere. And yeah. usually that somewhere is pretty embarrassing, 
But, you know, I feel like it's changing. I feel like our generation, we went through the awkward phase. Yes. You see young people now, they go straight through that awkward phase. It doesn't even happen anymore. So I feel like that's kind of like new people who start YouTube. They're skipping the awkward phase of videos (laughs) on YouTube and they're going straight to that quality content. And I don't know how they do it, but I'm jealous. I know. Isn't it funny? And you know what? You say it's embarrassing, but I say it's inspiring because I love seeing people's early days because I feel like nowadays it's like you're exposed to the person in their current form and you missed out on like the years of consistency and grind and trial and error and mess ups and mishaps. And it's kind of crazy. So when you started your channel, did you have a plan? Did you have a strategy? Did you like think about anything like that? Or were you just like, I'm just going to post what I feel like? Not at all. I think like a lot of YouTubers, it was just a hobby, a side project. Because like I said, I I had a successful career. So I I didn't need it for the income. I, I didn't want it for fame. I just really believed in the community of YouTube. I really loved and believed in in what they did for me as a viewer. And I wanted to build that kind of safe space, that kind of support system, that kind of environment for my own community. Because as much as I love watching these beauty and fashion girls, there wasn't anybody that looked like me, right? There wasn't any disabled women. And when I started six years ago, which might sound crazy because now we're seeing so many successful disabled voices killing it on social media. But when I started six years ago, there was like five disabled creators and none of them were making a living doing it. Like Mm. they had like 2000 subscribers, 5,000 subscribers. It was not a community. There was like a very small handful of people around the world creating content around disability. So I was really at the beginning of building that community, which is amazing to see now, six years later, where we're at. But there was nobody for me to look up to or be inspired by specifically within my own space or community. So I really wanted to be a part of building that. Yeah. What was it like to be a trailblazer in that space? Because I think that, I mean, being a trailblazer in any space is challenging, but especially when you feel like there's no one ahead of you on this journey. It was really, really hard. It was definitely the biggest challenge of becoming a successful YouTuber was the fact that I did not have an established community on this platform because, you know, by 2014, when I began YouTube, there was well-established creators making, you know, six or seven figure salaries from this platform who were just as successful as A-list celebrities are just as known as A-list celebrities were. So it certainly wasn't a baby industry when I started, but there was nobody in in my community killing it or making a living or even really getting views. So it was tough because not only did I not have anybody specifically to look to for inspiration in terms of what kind of content to create, but I also didn't, you know, ultimately YouTube's an algorithm, right? So people are watching content. They get recommended content that's like it. Well, nobody was watching disability content. So my content, therefore, was not getting recommended. It also wasn't getting searched for because people didn't know it existed, right? We weren't like the gaming community, the beauty community, the fitness community. We weren't established like that with tags and, you know, certain content that was going viral that everybody would jump on the train. We didn't have any of that. So that was really the tough thing for many, many years. 
How did you break through that then? Because like you said, it's algorithm based and it's it's recommending things you've searched for or looked at or similar. So what was the missing piece that started to kind of gain that attention? I mean, you've posted over 400 videos, so it's not like this happened overnight by any means. But was there a way that you kind of hacked yourself into the search results? You know, it became even trickier at one point because the adpocalypse hit and YouTube changed their algorithm. They were making it much more restrictive on creators. And in that beginning stage of when they did that, I think they kind of got overzealous, uh, got really stringent with it. And because it was an algorithm and things weren't necessarily being reviewed by human beings, any word like blind, disabled videos would automatically get demonetized. Videos would automatically get killed in the algorithm. So it became even more difficult. And I had to get even more creative of, of if ever, how am I going to break into this industry? Because by that point, I was starting to see I was two years into my YouTube journey of consistently posting. And I was starting to feel like it was something I wanted to figure out how to turn into a career. Because I was seeing more than ever the value of my voice on this platform or the value that my voice could have. Because ultimately, as a motivational speaker, I can only speak on so many stages physically a year. And once I walk off that stage, what I've said is gone. It's in the Mm -hmm. minds and in the hearts of the people who looked at it or who, who heard me. But that's it. It's gone. And so with YouTube, I knew like once I post a video, it's there forever. Whoever, wherever they are around the world can search that right combination of words and find that video I made three years ago. So I was like, you know, I just really see a value I can add to this space, but I really needed to find a way to do it. And so I had to get more creative with it. And I realized that I needed to bridge that gap. Like I said earlier, bridge that gap between disability and able-bodied people. And so I started trying to make content that any able-bodied creator could and would create. I started reaching out to large creators that I really, you know, had no business reaching out to or connecting with and pitching myself to them. And my whole thing was offering them things that I knew no other creator could offer them. Mm-hmm. And there was this whole conspiracy theory for a bit online that like I was paying creators to collaborate with me because I was this tiny creator collaborating with these creators with millions of followers. My first big creator that I clapped with was Casey Neistat. I had, you know, 65,000 subscribers at the time and he had 8 million. That's unheard of. Not only did he not collaborate with creators, period, but he certainly didn't collaborate with creators who were that small or unknown. And usually you see creators collaborating with other creators within their sphere, within their size range. And I was managing to pull in all of these creators who were way, way, way bigger, way more established, way more known, way more successful. And so people were like, what is she doing? Is she paying them? Well, I was super broke. There was no way I was able to pay these (laughs) people. What were you doing? Um, Just pitching them something they couldn't refuse? Exactly. I, that was my method. I would be unashamed and unafraid. And I would walk up to them at these YouTube events and conferences. And I'd be like, I'd give them my elevator pitch. And you know what the reality is, and I know this as a large creator, most small creators are too afraid to come up to us and pitch us, right? Most small creators are like, oh, they would never say no. I'll just embarrass myself. I'll just get a photo. But I was just unafraid. You know what? I believe like I'm so broke at this point. I'm pouring every bit of money I can and I'm making through my speaking into this business to make it happen. So I have nothing to lose. If they say no, they say no. And I'm no worse off. If they say yes, they say yes. And I'm way further forward. So I would just go up to them and give them an elevator pitch. I'd be like, this is who I am. 
this is what I do. And this is a video that I'd love to do with you. Mm. And like I said, I knew that I would be offering them a piece of content that no other creator on the platform could offer them and that they could not do if I was not going to be in the video. Mm. And it worked. And yes, the creators say no, of course. The creators ghost me, not say anything, say yes, and then never follow through, of course. But I wouldn't let that hurt me. I'd be like, you know what? In business, you get lots of yeses, but you get way more noes. And those noes are a part of your own growth. Okay, I totally feel like you're like great aunt Peggy, where I would be like, okay, Molly, but I don't really get how you make money with YouTube. Walk me through because I feel like the monetization side of YouTube isn't as known as say the influencer side on Instagram or sponsored posts or things like that. Is it a similar model? Right, which is so funny because to date, YouTube is the platform where you can make the most income. Yeah, tell yeah. me more about oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> of any social media platform, like I, you know, I have 860,000 followers on Instagram. And of course, I do Instagram content sponsorships, but I'm like, I don't know how girls make a full time living doing Instagram sponsorships yeah. because YouTube money is certainly way higher. So, you know, we do, of course, get monetized on our videos. You have ads up front, you have mid-roll ads, you have ads along the sides of your videos, but then you also do sponsored content. So you can have three different forms of sponsored content. You can have a shout out style where, you know, in the upfront, I'm like, this video is sponsored by Squarespace, but the video really has nothing to do with that. It's 45 seconds that I dedicate to them. And then I move on with a fashion review or whatever. Then we have an integrated video where it's a little more seamless the video content makes sense within the grand scheme of like what the sponsorship is. There's a really a much more seamless connection between what the content is and what the sponsor does. And then there's dedicated video where my entire video is dedicated to just that sponsorship. So there's, you know, obviously for dedicated, you're getting the most money integrated. It's a little bit tear down. And then the shout out style is the lowest income. That's so cool. You know, we've got to talk about your videos. First off, you do such an incredible job hooking people in with your headlines and your titles. I feel like if anyone that is listening to this is like, I need help with like titling my blog posts or an email that I'm going to send to my list or a YouTube video here. Let me just read a few of your recent videos. Cause I just, I love this one is why I don't wear push-up bras. Love. Next, I have a boyfriend, which was a very highly viewed video of yours. How I gained 25 pounds. Let's see here. Testing weird lifestyle products. What is this? And then you also incorporate your passion, which is of centering around just people incorporating and spreading awareness on disability. So you have like, I'm disabled, not differently abled. Why I hate being called differently abled and things like that. How do you tie in your mission, your heart with the content that you know also gets like the most clicks. How does that work? So what I came to realize in my content creation journey over these last six years is that I'm disabled no matter what content I'm making, Uh right? I can make content where I talk about how, how my disability affects my life and make it a very specific conversation. But the content where I don't talk about my disability at all I view as just as important, if not more important, because at the end of the day, if I can make somebody watch a 20 minute fashion haul video where I don't mention once that I'm blind and they forget that I have a disability, that's change. Yeah. That's creating change. If I can show society, not just tell society that we are normal, but show society that we are normal. That's 
change. And so, yes, sitting down and saying, you know, five things to not ask a blind person or, you know, why I hate being called differently abled. Those videos are super important, but I believe my fashion videos, my makeup videos, my travel videos are just as important, just as meaningful and still continue to further my cause and further Mm. my mission. We need disabled voices in the beauty and fashion space, right? We need that representation. And like I said, if I can make people forget that I'm disabled, that in itself helps further my cause. Mm -hmm. Let's give our postal workers and shipping professionals some extra recognition. When we're at home ordering and shipping online, they're the ones making sure we get our packages and that our products make it into the hands of our customers. And of course, we have to say thank you to ShipStation, making it so easy for sellers to adapt this new shipping culture. ShipStation is the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. Just a few clicks and you'll be managing your orders, printing out labels, and getting your products to happy customers. Amazon on Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface so you can keep track of who gets what. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for the large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. And right now, Gold Digger listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the offer code GOLDDIGGER. Make sure your business is ready to meet the demands of delivery culture. Get started at ShipStation.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Gold Digger. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter the offer code Gold Digger. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Have you been in idea mode lately? Maybe it's the approaching change in season. Maybe it's just the start of a new month, but I've been feeling so ready to bring some new ideas to life. But I know it's going to take a little extra freelance help. Fiverr's online marketplace connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. Whether you're launching your first business, scaling your current business, or in need of extra support to complete a project, Fiverr's global network of on-demand freelance talent is here to help. Find exactly what you need and customize your search by service, deadline, price, seller reviews, and more. No more guessing games. You'll know exactly what you're paying for upfront, no negotiating needed. I love using a Fiverr freelancer to create stunning social videos when we're in launches and being able to search and book talent based on project deadlines keeps our launch schedule on track no matter how many pivots we need to make. Check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code GOLDDIGGER. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code GOLDDIGGER. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code GOLDDIGGER. I'm going to say something and we can edit this out if you don't feel comfortable with it. But I remember when we were at a shoot together, you and I were talking and you were getting approached to work with a specific makeup brand. And they told you that you were not necessarily chosen because your disability isn't seen or like people just looking at an ad wouldn't know you were blind. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I feel like there is like separation in, you know, quote, inclusion. And I know you've experienced it firsthand. Is that something you're comfortable talking about? 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the things my manager has heard over the years of working with me is shocking. Well, it's shocking to able-bodied people. Sadly, it's not shocking for me as a disabled woman. You know, he, he's been told things like a very, very, very large telephone provider said to my manager when they wanted to work for me, they offered like one fourth of my rate at the time. Yeah. And he went back and, and let them know that. And they said, oh, well, our, our budget to pay disabled people is lower. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, they literally said that. We've had a, a large, large chain makeup store reached out and, you know, was talking to my manager about a couple of his creators. And when my name came up, they said, you know, when we put her on a billboard, nobody can see that she's disabled. Right. So it doesn't really further the cause. And that's just tokenism at its finest. And it was funny because when the campaign did come out and the billboards came out, every single person on the billboard was like clearly a minority that you could visually see. I was like, ah, interesting. So you were really just trying to like rack up the points for using minority, you know, different minorities. And despite the fact that I am from a highly oppressed community, my disability isn't something you can see by looking at me. So they couldn't use me. What has that been like for you in terms of learning how to advocate for yourself when it comes to working with different brands and companies? I think we're in a really interesting time where people are paying attention and asking hard questions and ensuring that brands are, you know, following through on their mission or their actions are exemplary of the words that they've said. What does that look like? You know, I did an interview a few months back when I was at the World Economic Forum in Davos with a model from South Africa named Tendu Hoppa. And she's an incredible woman. She's a lawyer and a model. And she's a black woman with albinism. Mm, yep. And, I saw um, that video. Yeah, she's just, she's so incredible. And I, I spoke to her about this as well, you know, tokenism as a minority woman. You know, how do you deal with that in the modeling and entertainment industry? And she said, you know, if working with a brand allows her to still further her cause, at the end of the day, it's still worth it. Mm. And, you know, I agree. That's the way I have to look at these opportunities is, of course, at times I am going to be simply something on a checklist for a brand. But if they're using me, I'm going to use them right back because I can still make that an opportunity for me to further my cause, even if they don't actually care about my cause. Yeah. They're still giving me a bigger platform. Yeah. You do an amazing job educating and you, you do do it in subtle ways. And then you also do it in very poignant ways, which I love because I just think it's really important. And, and I also think too, and I'm sure you notice this, like when you speak about certain things, less people are inclined to hit play, but then sometimes when you give them what they think they want, but serve them what they need, it's like the secret sauce, right? Like people might be thinking like, Oh, I just really want to see this, uh, swimsuit haul from Molly, but then you can kind of integrate in some of your education pieces. Do you do this on purpose or is this just more how you interact with the world? To be honest, it's just who I am. You know, it really like when I do a bikini try on haul and I talk about body confidence or body positivity, it's not because I'm trying to like shove a message in. It's just because like, it's something that's so important to me. And it's something that impacts everything I do when I put clothes on and how I think when I get dressed. And so when I do things like that, when I advocate for different causes, different groups, different things I believe in, 
it's not because I'm trying to, it's because it's something that I'm compelled to do. It's, it's in every fiber of my being. I've been public speaking as an advocate and an activist since I was five years old. Wow. It's just who I am. Yeah. That's so cool. I know when we were in Brooklyn together, it was right around when everything was shutting down and, you know, events were getting canceled and speaking opportunities were changing. How has your experience been with COVID and being home? It's the longest you've been home in ever. <laughs> um, what is, yeah, what has it been like for you? And what has that like pivot looked like as a creator for you? Prior to starting my business six years ago, I was touring full time for two years. So I've been on the road since I was 18. And uh, I didn't know what life would look like not being on the road. You know, it just kind of became who I was living out of suitcases and in hotels and time changes. And I didn't know how to live not on the road. But Honestly, I feel bad because COVID has truly been a blessing in disguise for me personally. I was able to focus more time on myself than ever. I've, you know, lost 20 pounds. I've come off my anxiety medication for the first time in three years. I've gotten a boyfriend for the first time in almost five years. I got a kitten that I've always wanted. Like this has been a really wonderful time for me. And I, I honestly feel quite guilty about that because I look at so many people around the world who are really, really, really struggling right now. And I feel bad that life is going so well for me, but I've certainly been able to pivot this time to be something really positive for myself. And I'm really grateful for this time. And it certainly taught me that moving forward, when the world does slowly begin to open up again, I can never push myself to the extent that I have for the last eight years. That chapter in my life is officially closed. And and I found new ways to do things, you know, and I'm, I'm really grateful. Like a lot of those live talks I would do have change to Zoom talks. And before there was a lot of things that I would have to say no to simply because they didn't have the budget. And now it's like, well, I could just offer them, you know, Zoom. It's instead of two days of my life, it's one hour. That drastically changes the rate that I have to charge, right? So I feel really lucky that now I can do a lot of projects that I would have had to say no to before because I do have way more of my life back. And it's all been really great for me. I have to say, I've still managed to, you know, YouTube AdSense across the board has gone down by about 50% because of course, advertisers are pulling out. But overall, you know, I've still managed to get brand deals, speaking engagements. I really can't complain. It makes me so happy to hear this, Molly, because I feel like I can even remember at our shoot last year when we were sitting on the couch together, I was talking to you and your mom. And it was like, she was telling me where you were going in the world. And it was this insane schedule. Like, I mean, I don't know of many people who were on the road like you were on the road. And I am just really excited about this new chapter for you and just kind of being able to like have permission to hit the pause button and to reevaluate. I think it's super exciting. It is. It's been really exciting. To be honest, I don't know anybody who had a travel schedule like mine either. No, it was, it was nuts. It was nuts. I would see my friends every six months, you know, and that yeah. was normal. And, you know, I really, I really wanted to find love. I really wanted to date. I really wanted all of these things. I really wanted to lose weight and focus on my health again. And I've been wanting to come off my anxiety meds for like a year now, but I never had the time to dedicate to do these things. And, And now I do. I have far more 
work-life balance. And before that was just a joke to me. It's like, what do you mean life is work? You know, they're one and the same for me. And I just kind of accepted that that was my reality. And now I realize that it doesn't have to be. And of course, as an entrepreneur, that's a part of the grind, right? For many years, that, that just is what it is. That is a part of building a successful business is making your business your life. So I don't regret doing it. But I'm also I also don't know how I ever would have gotten out of that vicious cycle without this pandemic. Hmm. One thing that you said earlier in our interview was you were talking about how when you were getting started and there was the greats that you looked up to that had all the subscribers and all the views. And I feel like nowadays, a lot of people, they have these pulls, these tugs of like, I need to start something new. I want to start a podcast or a YouTube channel, or I want to become an influencer. But they see people like you, Molly, who have 2 million subscribers on YouTube and they think I'm too late. What would you tell those people? Less than three years ago, I had 65,000 subscribers <laughs> and I couldn't afford to keep the clothes I bought. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I literally, when I flew to New York to film with Casey Neistat, that was it. That was my last ditch effort. That was the last money I had. I was living at home to save money. And I got there and I had a white shirt and I knew we were filming under bright camera lights and I forgot a bra. So I had to go run out in New York City and buy a bra, but I was so poor, I couldn't afford to keep it. So I filmed in this bra and I returned it. That's three years ago, you know? And and now, you know, like this Valentine's Day, I was able to, to go out and buy myself Cartier to celebrate my Valentine's Day alone, you know, and made a self-love video. So, you know, things can change. You just have to really believe in yourself and believe in what you're doing. And honestly... Yes, the success has been wonderful. Being able to pay bills and and buy myself the odd nice thing like that Cartier bracelet is wonderful. But at the end of the day, I'm so glad I had the grind I did. I'm so glad I had the struggles to come up through what I did because it really does make me appreciate what I have so much more. At the end of the day, you know, the money only buys things. But what's most important is is continuing to stick to doing what you believe in and doing what you love and, you know, just building a space for everybody to feel accepted and loved and comfortable. And that's what I try to do every day. Well, you do it so well. We're going to do a sort of a YouTube lightning round. So I want to just ask some questions and you can give quick answers to them. But I'm just... ever known me to give quick answers. (laughs) Well, here is your challenge. Okay. How do you decide what types of videos to release? life. All my videos come from just living life and thinking in my mind, in the back of an Uber, Ooh, this would make a great video. And also listening to the comments, listening to the feedback from my followers. So I know what they want to see. Ooh, I love that. What kind of videos are doing really well on YouTube right now? Oh man. I mean, it completely depends on, you know, what category you're in. The thing is, my channel isn't really like any other kind of channel. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Molly. (laughs) It's weird because people are always like, oh, what category are you in? And my team is always like, well, it's kind of like real category. But my cat and my boyfriend content is what's doing on this channel right now. You know what else I think, like just looking at your numbers and things, I feel like the things that crush it for you are the things that people are really curious about, but too afraid to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Like where it's just like, wait, how does this work? And then you do it and you're like, oh yeah, totally. What three things or criteria do you think every successful video needs before you hit publish? A great thumbnail. 
Mm-hmm. That's fun fact. More than 50% of the click is the thumbnail. Ooh. So the thumbnail actually matters more than the title. Okay. So definitely a good thumbnail, obviously a good title and monetization. <laughs> yes. Speaking my language. I love it. Some people talk themselves out of starting a YouTube channel, just thinking it's going to be too much work or it's too complicated. What do you want to tell them about just simply starting? You know, it can be a lot of work for sure. I would say don't start unless you're ready for a lot of work, to be honest, because again, it's an algorithm. The algorithm feeds who feeds it. So Mm. if you cannot post consistently minimum twice a week, do not bother. That's what I'm going to say. That's hard to hear. That's facts. It will not like they prefer three times a week. I can do twice a week. They will not serve you less than once a week. Like if, if you are not posting minimum once a week, don't even bother. You have to have a consistent upload schedule. That is a time and a day every single week, multiple times a week that the algorithm knows you're going to be posting. So is it a lot of work in that sense? Yes. If you're not going to be consistent, it's not going to work out for you. But in terms of like the equipment, that stuff doesn't matter as much as people think it does. I shoot on like a Samsung Note 10 with natural daylight. I don't use a mic. I don't use studio lights. I use a smartphone and a tripod and that's it. Wow. That's super cool. I love hearing people's tech stuff because I feel like that holds so many people back. I want to know like, if you were to guesstimate how many hours goes into one YouTube video? Oh my God. I mean, some videos, two weeks, some videos, 20 minutes, you know, like every video completely changes. Wow. That's awesome. What are you excited about creating these days? You know, I really enjoy the fashion videos that I do just because that is just simply like a passion of mine. I love fashion. I love trying new brands, but I'm especially passionate about it because I see so many influencers being paid by these companies to talk about how wonderful it is. And then I review it unpaid and this stuff is utter crap. <laughs> and so I like just being real with my followers and telling them how it is. I will never do a fashion review by a new brand that is sponsored. If I've yep. enjoyed the brand, I'll accept a sponsorship later on, but I will sure. never do my first impressions as sponsored because it's going to skew your view, right? So I'm really passionate about giving an honest fashion review. Like I said, I also think we really need disabled voices in beauty and fashion. I think it's important for me to create content that um, that allows me to show that disabled people can add value to industries outside of what you expect them to be able to give value to. So I really enjoy making those. Mm. On that same note, last night I ordered this like weird LED like face mask thing. And I was like, I'm paying all my dollars for this because I'm going to see if it works or not. And you better believe that there's a 30 day warranty that I'm going to send it back if it doesn't work. But I was laughing because the only reviews I could find were paid ones. And I was like, hmm, we're going to crack the code on this. So I love that you do that. Let us know. You're going to have to report back. I don't have a YouTube, but I do have Instagram. Where can everybody find you, connect with you, learn more about you, watch your videos, give us all the places. Instagram and TikTok and Facebook are at Molly Burke official, M-O-L-L-Y. 
B-U-R-K-E official. Twitter is at Molly B official because Molly Burke official wouldn't fit. And then, <laughs> you know, YouTube, youtube.com slash Molly Burke official, or you can just search Molly Burke. Also, if you really can't remember, just Google Molly blind and I'm the only one that'll pop up. So wow. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my <laughs> How is Gallup doing with being home and not on the road? That's a very serious question. To be honest, that's why we got him a kitten to keep him entertained because he's been miserable. It's so funny because everybody's been talking about how much their dogs are loving quarantine because the owners are home with them all the time. Well, my guide dog Gallup is used to being with me all the time. So that's not anything new or entertaining, but he's used to being way more entertained because he's used to coming everywhere with me, being on the road, super busy and active, working all the time. And then all of a sudden he went from being super active and working all the time and seeing the world around him and meeting new people to just being home here with me <laughs> all day, every day, never getting to work. So he's been miserable. Um, we got him a kitten and it brightened his day for sure. They're in love. In- okay, good. I was going to say he likes the cat, right? <laughs> They're deeply in love. I can't good. tell you how much my kitten Lavender loves Gallup. Oh, a- I miss Gallup. Oh, that's so funny. I was wondering if he would like being home or hate it because he is kind of a show stealer and he gets a lot of like hugs and kisses when he's out and about. Exactly. So he's been missing all of that attention. <laughs> oh, Molly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I am just so grateful for our friendship and just this was the best catch up and chat that everyone gets to listen into. Yeah, this was super fun. Thanks for having me. You know, those people that you follow online and you're like, could they possibly be that awesome in real life? Well, I for one can attest to the fact that Molly Burke is even better in the flesh. I am so grateful for the relationship and the friendship that I've had with her over these past few years. And I love learning from her. She is one of the most brilliant, kind, compassionate people that I've ever met. And so I'm just so thrilled that she came on the podcast today. Thank you so much for hitting play on another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 